and welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Being a Bad Martha. This is Dawn Sam Alden and I am here with Kimberly Rockwell. And today on Being a Bad Martha, <laughs> we are we want to talk about something that many of us have spent a great deal of time thinking about, especially when we were young. Um, we worried about it. We judge it. We value it. We shame it. We talk of losing it, giving it away, having it taken from us. And yet it doesn't actually exist. Today's topic is virginity. So hold on to your hats, all you Madonnas and whores, because virginity is a myth. And today the bad Marthas are Mythbusters. All right, enough of that. Um, So I found this when we were originally talking about this topic, we originally talked about this topic in Church of the Clitoris. And when I was doing research for the sermon there, um, I found this wonderful quote on the interwebs. When we have sex for the first time, we do not actually lose anything. It does not change our identity. It is not life altering and it does not affect our worth. It is simply a new experience. It's true. We could have just as easily create some artificial sense of value out of anything, Um, say, never having eaten peas. We could declare that pea virgins are very valuable, making them highly sought after. And once a woman has eaten a pea, she is sullied. And in reality, it would make the same amount of difference to lose your virginity and to eat a pea. It makes the same physical amount of difference to her body to eat a pea as it does to engage in sex. It would make the same amount of sense. And so it means it makes no sense at all. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that, that syllogy, metaphor, analogy, analogy. There we go. Um, you know, because then we would have conversations about like, I bet she knows what a pea tastes like, you know, I mean, just you know. look at her. You can tell she eats peas every night. <gasps> and then women walking around going like, yes, I eat peas. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my pea consumption. Anyway, yeah, it would make just about as much sense. Um, so we want to talk about this topic because there are so many probably problematic issues that come along with the idea of virginity. And it is just an idea. Um, the whole idea of giving your virginity to someone, losing your virginity, like it's some sort of, um, like it has some value and that uh, when you bes- you could choose to bestow it on someone or someone can take it from you, um, it's, it's putting, it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, mm-hmm. for wi- and of course, it's so highly gendered. For women, it's a special gift to bestow on someone. But for men, it's a stigma to have it. A man who's a virgin is trying to lose it as quickly as possible. And, you know, a woman has to treasure it. Um, A man's worth generally rises with how much sex he's had and a woman's falls. Uh, Now you made that point about the sexual revolution. Yeah, that was a time where it became important for women to not be virgins and to tally up men, but it was still focused on 
men's pleasure and the needs of men. Nobody really cared if women were having good <clears throat> sex. But right. She was a good, you know, she was, it was great if she was having a lot of it because that meant he could have a lot of sex with her. Yeah. It meant that the pool of women that were willing to, you know, gratify his pleasure was a lot larger. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was over at a client's house once uh, um, and happened to overhear his high school age daughter. And she was talking on the phone to a friend of hers and she was talking about something that happened to her in school that day. So this was pre-pandemic. So, you know, maybe five years ago. Recent. Um, recently. Yeah. And she was saying that um, the instructor, whoever it was, um, had a piece of scotch tape and, you know, would stick it to the hand of someone and that person would peel off the scotch tape and stick it to the hand of the next person next to them. And then that person would peel off the scotch tape and stick it to the next hand of the next person online. And they were um, they were drawing a comparison between women having sex and the scotch tape that like the first our stickiness. <laughs> we can't stick to the walls. What? but that um, the scotch tape loses its usefulness <gasps> and its appeal the more oh. time, the more things it's been stuck to. So a teacher is teaching <clears throat> this to teenage girls in the 21st century. In the 21st century. Yes. That they are like a piece of scotch tape. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I know. Right. It's so problematic. Um, it also totally erases queer expression, yeah. right? Because virginity generally only refers to hetero PIV, penis in vagina intercourse. So there are a lot of valuable lesbians out there. Really valuable lesbians. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, when I did um, research on Charlotte Cushman, uh, who was uh, one of the most esteemed American actresses ever, but has been erased from the history books, I'm sure, for uh, for many of these reasons. Um, she was a lesbian. She made no bones about it. She was always um, she was always fooling around with women. She always had a female companion, um, but because of the mores of the time, this was the mid 19th century. Um, she was never seen in public with men. And so she was considered, you know, this paragon of chastity. <laughs> because the only kind of sex that can exist is of course, between a man and a woman. And so, yeah, I mean, she lived out loud in front of everybody's faces and was considered incredibly chaste. So the hole that God can't see can keep, <laughs> can keep you pure. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So uh, it also creates anxiety, pressure, and censure for people with disabilities. Um, the act of having sex can be physically difficult for some people. And so that becomes a whole big thing. Um, like, you know, you've got to have it, but, or else you're not a man or, you know, all this sort of nonsense. Um, people with disabilities are getting screwed. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but they're getting, they're not able to have that precious experience the way it's supposed to be. Had. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
people whose first experience with intercourse is through rape or incest now have this permanent trauma because their first time was, you know, which is supposed to be some magical experience was horrible and non-consensual. And so now they're ruined forever. They can never have that beautiful first experience um, because it was taken away from them, which, you know, is just more trauma to add to a traumatic situation. Um, And then, of course, you know, there's the fact that in some areas of the world, even today, but all throughout history, if women fail a quote unquote virginity test, not a thing, as we'll talk about in a minute, uh, they could be killed. They could lose their lives for not being at the very best may not be allowed to marry or, um, you know, be accepted in society. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before we get into like the scientific basis behind virginity, which we totally will, I mean, so scientific debunking of it, (laughs) um, we thought we'd talk about our first times. Our precious, precious. Our precious, precious first time. Or we lost it or gave it away or had it taken from us because we were carrying it around in our pocket before that. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It was in a little locked box and we opened it. Mine was gold with a key, yeah. (laughs) A little gold key that we kept on a bracelet around our wrists, you know, so no one could steal it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So tell me about your first time, Don. Um, I was a late bloomer. I was definitely a late bloomer. Um, I didn't get my first period until I was 17. Um, so I was behind my friends. You know, a lot of my girlfriends had already had sex with their boyfriends. Um, and uh, although I was a very shy girl and a hopeless romantic. I, I grew up with an emotionally distant father. And so, um, so to me, love looked like neglect. And, uh, and so I had a lot of <clears throat> unrequited crushes on men and that like totally satisfied my need for romance because, you know, loving someone who didn't love me back felt like that was the way it was supposed to be. That's so, real. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so, and thank goodness I went that way because that could have also set me up for abusive relationships really easily. But, uh, but, you know, I was a, a, a young sort of nerdy girl. And so I, you know, read a lot of science fiction and fantasy and that sort of set me up for this romantic idea. But um So yeah, I was in college. I was still a virgin. And my senior year of college, I said to myself, I am not graduating from college a virgin. (laughs) So I made it my mission that year to find someone to uh, deflower me, as it were, and uh, settled upon a guy that uh, lived across the hall in in our living learning suite. And um, you know, decided it was just going to be a physical relationship. Uh, and the first time um, I must have had, a, I must have had a, a more significant hymen than average because there was blood, hmm. um, even though I did a lot of horse riding when I was younger. So 
I should all the things have. you're supposed to do to yeah, a ruin of, you. <laughs> exactly. A lot of bike riding, a lot of horse riding, all of those things that can that can um affect your hymen if you have one. Um and we'll talk again, we'll talk about that more in the future. In yeah, the hymen is a fun yeah. topic. Yeah, it is. So um but it didn't hurt that much. It freaked him out because he'd never uh, he, he'd never had sex with someone who bled before. And so he was terrified that he'd hurt me. Bless his heart. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but the first time didn't hurt as much. It was just awkward and weird. And like this is yeah. I don't understand quite how this works yet. Um, but the second time really hurt because we had sex again before I had healed. Oh, yeah. And so the second time really hurt. And I was like, okay, we're not doing them. Ha! So uh, then we waited a little while. And then after that, it was fine. But, um, but yeah, for me, it was like something that I had to do. It was on my list of things to do that, you know, I wasn't going to graduate from college a virgin. And, uh, and, but because, you know, sex comes with intimacy, um, you know, after we started to have intercourse regularly I get developed feelings for him and we wound up dating and, and moving in together. And we stayed together for like two years. And, wow. and uh, um, he even proposed to me at one point or was planning to propose to me. And I talked him out of it because uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was smart enough to know that this was not the guy I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And a lot of marriages happen because people want to have sex. That's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was my first time. And then, you know, it, it, it certainly was not great sex because I didn't know anything. It wasn't until my third lover, um, my third lover was the guy that taught me that sex and shame have nothing to do with one another mm. and that sex is a myth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that sex was supposed to be fun. And so after that, I was, you know, off to the races. So yeah. <laughs> I haven't stopped riding since. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm ching. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you mentioned the word deflowering. And we had right? talked about that phrase before when we were kind of talking about putting this together. And it's such a vivid and fraught phrase, right? Deflowering, flowering as if, as if that's, although if you think about flowers, it does look a lot like the plant's genitalia, but it's interesting that, yeah, your flower has been plucked. You no longer have a flower. Oh and my goodness. Phrase. The bloom is off the rose, off the rose. Or, the, or the blush is off the peach or whatever the phrases are. Nonsense garbage. Save the fuzz. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny, I always imagine if sex education was actually sex education and not reproductive education, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can you imagine how much better sex would be for every young person, male and female alike, the first time? Because nobody knows what they're doing. Because mo for most of us, our parents are not sitting there teaching us about our clitoris and about vaginal lubrication. And I'm sure they're not sitting down teaching their sons about that stuff. Oh, God, no. And what teen would want their parents, their parents to teach them teach that them. sort of thing? Oh, my God. Awkward. That would be awkward. Awkward. In society, however, where sex was not shameful, it would not be an awkward conversation. And it would be a part of education for everybody. And then your first time could be orgasmic fun for all well i don't know well, about your first time i think you still I have want, to 
I'm having optimistic fantasies here. Don't okay. mess with that. Don't let your silly facts get in the way of my dreams. <laughs> but it would be a lot. It would be more experimental, I think, and more fun and more, what do you like? And what does this feel like? And, and would be more open about it. Yeah. And more focused on um, everybody's pleasure. Everybody's pleasure. Yeah. Not, what a unique concept that is. Yeah. And then an idea. Yeah. How about you? What was your um, first time like? Pleasure was also not a part of my first time. Or my second, um, but it was not painful. And I was I was a little bit younger than you. I was seventeen, but I was still older than a lot of my friends. And I did not discuss the state of my flower, of my precious gift, um, <laughs> because there was a shame involved. in In my social circles, it was cool to have had sex. And so, for the first time, I specifically selected somebody who wanted me and desired me. And that kind of became a focus of my love life for many, many, many years after that. It had mm. to be about somebody who really wanted me. And he did not know I was a virgin. And I made sure he did not know. I was so nervous imagining because I still believed in this intact hymen myth. Right. And apparently I was probably not born with much of one, although I also had ridden horses and bicycles and done gymnastics. But I also made sure when I was using tampons to really kind of aggressively use that applicator to make sure I was well worn in so that my scotch tape was not sticky. I just did not want there to be any obvious signs that I was a virgin. So um, it was very boring and clinical and, but he was way into it. And for me, that was the power. He was so into it. And I became addicted to that power of, mm. of being able to make a man feel pleasure. In retrospect now, how ridiculous what a patriarchal is that? Right. But it, it felt powerful to me. And so yeah. for a while, that was my goal for sex. And for me, I think it was also either the third or the fourth um, lover where I ran into a man who had fortunately had a good female teacher at some point in his life and he was happy to share the knowledge and all of a sudden sex became something very very different yeah um although it was it was that didn't set me on a course for great sex for the rest of my life because i had been raised with a lot of shame surrounding sex my mother was very shy around men my mother had been raised so abusively um that mm. the first time she was alone with a boy she threw up she was so afraid and so oh nervous and, and that translated into how she raised me to be around men. Um, I did not throw up around them, but I was very hesitant around sex. So I did not have the courage to teach a man to say, Hey, this is what I like. I want to be touched here. I want to be touched like that. I would just hope that I'd hit the lottery with another man who'd had a good teacher before me yeah. if, in order to have good sex. And I think I was well into my, um, late 20s before I got comfortable enough to really talk about what I wanted in sex. I think it was with my first husband before I felt comfortable enough to talk about what I wanted and could enjoy it Wow! on, on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. And when I so, taught my daughter, I was going to, I asked my daughter's permission for her virginity because she's 32. So she's at a different generation. Um, I always taught her, what I had learned, and I don't know if it was good or bad, but she said she likes that I taught her. I said, just make sure your first time is with somebody who cares about you. Yeah. The rest I don't care about, but please make sure it's with somebody who cares about you. I didn't give her an age or a love or anything other 
just, and she told me when I asked her about this, I said, can I talk about that? And she said, yeah, she said, I'm actually really grateful for that. And it made it fine. And it wasn't, I never felt uncomfortable about it or shy about it or that it was wrong. And I didn't feel shy telling you it had happened. So I guess that worked out. <laughs> nice. Nice. Did you teach her anything about lubrication and all that sort of thing? I did not. I did not. And I regret that. But fortunately, she had good friends. And her um, one of her first very serious relationships was with another woman. So she was she lived um, her first real big love was a woman that she lived with for four years. And so I think she got a lot of good lessons there. <laughs> nice. So. Nice. Awesome. So let's talk about that myth of the hymen and yeah. and the actual science behind quote unquote. Tell us virginity. about the hymen. Right. So when I was doing research on this for the sermon, I found a gorgeous video and and hopefully our listeners can Google and find it, but it basically was like a TED talk about the myth of the hymen. And um, and the visual aid that she used was like a scrunchie, a fabric scrunchie, like you use to tie scrunchie. back your hair. Yeah, a hair scrunchie. And she said that is probably like the closest to what the hymen looks like. It has a hole in the middle. It's not a solid, impenetrable wall, because if so, how would women menstruate? This cracks me up. I believed in an intact hymen. You hear about intact hymens. Right. And nobody stops to think about menstruation. Right. Like if you actually had a solid wall of, of membrane or tissue, you would all that blood would stay inside. That when would I, be super bad. We were still taught not to use tampons because it would penetrate our hymen and nobody thought about the other direction. <laughs> right. If the tampon can't go up, then the blood couldn't come down. So, yeah. So there is no such thing as an intact hymen. That, or if there is, it's it needs to be corrected with surgery. It's a medical like, problem. It's a medical problem. Yeah. Um, the amount of um, hymenal tissue that women are born with varies widely among women. Uh, some are born without even visible hymenal tissue. Like there's there's so little there, you can't even see it. Um, some are born with too much and it needs to be cut open by an OBGYN um, for health reasons. Uh, some are, you know, this, this woman went on to describe them as half moons, lunar eclipses, or the, <laughs> just the slivery edge of a new moon. That's um, yeah, that's lovely. Um, it might be wobbly, have a funny hole in it, be a small flap. It might be completely undetectable. So, you know, as original as fingerprints, um, everyone, everyone's is slightly different and it's on a long scale of, you know, small to large. Um, the hymen that is there uh, can easily be stretched open by many activities. We talked about, you know, riding horseback. I mean, so many women where I grew up, that was a rite of passage. Like when your first love was horses, before you discovered boys, your first love was always horses. And uh, there was a very active 4-H club um, in my area, in New England, right? <laughs> yes, of course, in New England, we had the 4-H club, darling. Um, so, you know, I, I rode horses for years. Um, 
uh, rode a bike. Uh, I, you know, to work, I was not, um, I was not active in sports, but a lot of young women are very active in sports. Um, so any, any of these activities can impact uh, the hymenal tissue, can tear it or stretch it or whatever, you know, just living your life, in other words, living your life as a child and, a, and an adolescent um, uh, can affect um, the hymen. Uh, and once it's, uh, you know, the idea of being rehymenated, like if you don't have sex for a long amount of time, then your hymen grows back. There's also poppycock, <laughs> uh, you know, once it's, uh, either cut or stretched <laughs> out, it doesn't go back. Um, so this, this myth that, you know, the first time you have PIV sex, it breaks the intact hymen and you bleed and it's extremely painful. And you need um, the blood on the sheets to prove. You need the blood on the sheets to prove that you were actually a virgin, a virgin. Um, I was the anomaly in that because 63%, more than, more than half, uh, the majority of women's first sexual encounter is painless. So you are more like the average woman in that. Um, also, the pain can be due to anxiety, nervousness, tension, uh, naivete, lack of, lack of lubrication because you're nervous and stressed out and not aroused. Also, it can be due to lack of experience. You know, I mean, the dude could be poking you just too hard and that hurts. <laughs> so, you know, uh, all the reasons that sex can hurt once you're experienced, uh, are, you know, in play the first time you have sex as well. It, the pain could be due to, not due to a biological reason, but due to, um, uh, actions that are being taken at the time. Um, and 52% of sexually active women have, have detectable hymens. So in other words, your hymen doesn't go away completely the first time you have sex. You sort of still have the same hymen. It's just stretched out like, you know, like a scrunchie that you've used on your hair a lot of times. It changes shape slightly the more you use it, but it doesn't disappear completely. Well, this puzzles me then, because how on earth could you ever do a test to know whether or not a woman has had sex? <laughs> What medical test would exist if what these radical things you are saying are in fact true? Funny you should mention that, Kimberly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the 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 fact of the matter is, scientifically, there is no way to empirically prove or deny whether or not a woman is a virgin. Therefore, the myth of virginity can only be for the purpose of policing female behavior. It's interesting that we still surprise. believe. I, my daughter and I were watching the new Exorcist movie because that's the kind of thing we do. And two girls had been kidnapped. And the doctors at the hospital came out and assured the parents that these girls had not had sex. 
there was no, you know, they were, that the, the, they talked about the hymenal ring and that it was still intact. And therefore these girls had not been, oh, naturally, had Christ. not been sexually molested is what they said, which means that only P and V would have counted as sexual molestation for these girls. But the fact that the doctors in the hospital were utterly sure that these girls had not been penetrated, which means a man wrote that script. Right. Right. Or a woman who believed in the myth. That's true, that's yeah. True. Who was still believing in the myth. Yeah. But we are still perpetuating this myth that somehow you can tell. And, and yeah, yeah. And we won't even get into the fact that, you know, sexual molestation was only defined as penetration. But, um, yeah, um, because we're talking about virginity right now and that, oh, that's a whole other being a bad mark. It is. That would be another good question. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so where did this idea of virginity come from? So, yeah, it's a social construct. Yes. And what a surprise. It came about in tandem with the commodification of women. Patriarchy, say it with me. So as women became property that were transferred from fathers to husbands. Which we still do to this day. A marriage ceremony involves giving away the yeah, girl. Yeah, giving away That's the another bride. topic. Oh, my God. Um, we have, if you look back in our old podcasts, we have a wonderful podcast uh, that we did with Vicki Noble based on a paper she wrote called Priestess to Bride. And she takes a look at all of the, you know, the, the fact that wedding ceremonies and traditions surrounding the bride, a lot of them came from um, honors that were done uh, to priestesses. And that... Oh, interesting. Yeah, that the whole, like, life of a priestess and her honored position in society, like, now we get one day as a woman to get that honor and to be honored in those ways. And it's the wedding day when you're transferred from one man to another. So yeah, the irony of it is painful. Um, yeah. Yeah. The idea of virginity, again, like we talked about earlier, re reinforces heteronormativity because, mm -hmm. you know, the only sex that counts is penis and vagina sex. Um uh, unfortunately, some of this may be laid at the feet of um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, because in the in the 14th century medieval times, around in medieval times, um, the Christian value on virginity started to really increase because of the cult of Mary. Um, the cult of Mary is, you know, a, a a sort of swelling within the Catholic church. And I think, I think for good reasons, I think, um, you know, when we lost the goddess and were given a male, a dry desert God with no sense of humor, as my friend used to describe him, <laughs> um, the urging to, to worship and to look to a female, a motherly presence was still, it's still in us. Mm -hmm. Of course. It's still in us. And so the cult of Mary um, started to grow in popularity as a way to sort of um, still have that um, veneration of the female, of the matri, uh, matriarchal sort of um, mother figure. 
Um, but because she was pronounced by the Church of Virgin Mary, um, therefore the cult of virginity started to, you know, this idea of virginity as as a value in a in women really began to ascend in, in importance. Um, <clears throat> Mary became. If, there, if there's a goddess, she's a virgin. She's unsullied by man. She has to be unsullied. She became sort of like the the redemption of Eve. You know, because Eve fell, the Virgin Mary sort of restored that purity, um, and the idea of the Virgin Birth of Christ began to be more and more important. Up until that time, it really hadn't been a thing. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the there is the fact that you always know who a person's mother is because it's the woman they came out of. That's kind of unassailable. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really can't mess that up. You know who your mother is. But there is no clear way to tell who your father is. No. Judaism is a matrilinear, not matriarchal, but a matrilinear religion because of that. Right. Because you are a Jew if your mother is a Jew. Right. Because Jews are smart enough to know, I guess. <laughs> I'll generalize any religion. But at least there is an understanding that that's the only provable linear line. So, Right, yeah. So, so virginity ensures a patrilinear line. Exactly. If a woman is a virgin when she marries and the husband keeps her good and locked up so no other man has access to her, then he can be assured that you know, the beings that come out of his wife, wife's womb are actually his, and I put that in air quotes, his <laughs> children. Um, and since, you know, the passing of goods and, and, and money and property and all that sort of thing was through the patrilineal line, um, it became more and more important uh, that a woman be a virgin when she's married. Um, there is some, God, I read something somewhere um, that said that uh, that actually we've what a surprise we've gotten it wrong um, in thinking that the focus was on a woman being a virgin when she's married, and actually it was that the quote unquote virginity tests were to test if she was pregnant. I read the same thing that yeah. that, that there that there's it's much more likely that they were pregnancy tests because we know that virginity tests were not possible. No man could violate a woman digitally, which is what virginity tests were, an opportunity to molest, and get an honest answer, which means that every single one of those tests was a scam. Either the father had certain political power or money passed hands in order to say, for anyone to say, yes, she is pure, except obviously the doctors on The Exorcist who, who know differently, but... Um, there was no way to know. And, but yeah, I read the same art, the same um, report or similar reports. Um, they said really what they were looking for was trying to ensure that she was not pregnant. Right. And so, which gives them the same safety. So what, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we still have the idea of a shotgun wedding, right. Yeah. You know, that if the woman is pregnant, she better marry soon. She better marry right away so that she has a father for her child. Well, and either so I was a nine pound preemie. Or my, my own birth might have been one of those. What? I know, scandalous. In the early 60s, how could it have happened? Right. Oh, my God. 
Yeah. So, you know, the whole idea of guarding your daughter's virginity became a huge industry. There were, you know, things like chastity belts and all that bullshit, which were just, you know, horrifying and dangerous. And dangerous, exactly. Made of leather or even metal. Um, and, and, you know, they caused, they would interfere with, with defecation and urination. So they were responsible for all kinds of infections and, and even death yeah, and wounds and sepsis and even death. Yeah. 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 So, you know, because you can't trust women, you have no, to make, of course yeah. Not. yeah. It's yeah. up to women to police the men. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not perfectly all- natural for the men. You know, the funny thing, though, was that in the Middle Ages and, you know, it explains a lot of this sort of ensuring chastity in the Middle Ages. They actually had the belief that that women were the horny ones. Well, who could imagine that being true? Yeah, right. That men were naturally more sort of passive and and. uh and less desirous of sex. They were naturally more like Jesus, I suppose. They were more holy. They were more yeah. holy and, and pure yeah. of thought. And it was up to us to go seduce them. And it, exactly. But it was the women that were naturally sexual creatures. Or animals. And so, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, because we're closer to animals. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, you can't blame the men for having bad thoughts. It's more that, you know, you men better watch out because the women are going to drag you down that, that kind of mentality. And do you want to, do you want to talk about your, I, that I, the way you so beautifully put it? Oh yeah. The, the, um, virginity is, um, Oh, cause I've lost my, I lost the thought here, but I have notes, so I will find it. Um, I'll I'll just recreate it. The idea that um, our bodies are men's property, but they're our responsibility in the same way that children, the children that we bear are the property of men, but it's our responsibility to raise them and, and, you know, to, to birth them and to raise them, but they belong to the men in the same way. Virginity allows that to be true of our bodies as well. And our current sexual mores that go all the way back to medieval times. Um, The idea that our sexuality is the and our bodies and vaginas are the property of men, but it is our responsibility to keep them pure, to keep them holy, and to keep them in service of men and producing the children that they want to be born. Yeah. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Yes. What a lovely world they live in where they get yeah. to own everything, but they don't have to till their have, own land, so to speak. Yeah. They have no responsibility of, you know, taking care of the things they quote unquote own. own. Yeah. And th- I mean, that same I mean, I know this is this is another being a bad Martha, but that exact same um, ideology extends to abortion, because if a woman gets pregnant, that you know her body is the is the pro is the property of men, so she doesn't get to decide what to do with it. And that baby, that baby belongs to a man. It is not tissue that is in her body. It is not just the property of men, but even the property of the patriarchy so that the government can pass laws regarding that baby because the baby belongs to the patriarchy, to all men, all men get to own whether or not that baby gets to be born. 
And and she doesn't get to decide what happens inside her own body because Absolutely her body not. her body is also the property of men. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So the very concept of virginity constricts a woman's sexual autonomy. Exactly. You can't separate virginity from the rape culture and from the patriarchy because it's a symptom of that. It was created on purpose in order to make all those other things become true. Yeah. And so to, to, to just talk about it as an abstract and a concept is all well and good. But in reality, it is a symptom of this larger problem. Yeah. A problem that is still very prevalent today. Very prevalent. Like we only have to go to Texas to see that. <sighs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of purity balls. Oh, God. Which just. That's so creepy. Is so fucking creepy. Um, and purity, you know, oaths and all that sort of thing. This idea that, you know, again, that women's pu- purity is the responsibility of the women, that she's that a young girl is responsible if she is uh, creeped on by a 40 year old man. It's clearly, you know, it's clearly I, she's how doing ironic wrong. in that the purity balls happen between the father and the daughter. This is a, a girl promising her daddy the ownership and control of her vagina until she's ready to give it or until she's ready for him to pass it along for him to pass it along to him to pass it along. So the creepy 40 year old men are baked into the process there. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrifying. It's horrifying. Um, Virginity tests still exist around the world in many places for various different reasons uh, or, um, you know, to determine various different things. There are parts of the world where um, a woman has to undergo a virginity test to get a job. Oh my God. Um, You were talking about that article that you saw about scholarships. Yeah. Oh, and scholarships in South Africa, uh, a woman in order to qualify for the scholarship, the woman has to prove her virginity. Hopefully it's women who are conducting these tests at this point. So they will just green light everybody. But (laughs) well, you know, there's money changing hands there. You know, there's money changing hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and then there's the horrible practice of FGM, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, to ostensibly to preserve a woman's purity, um, in a couple of different ways. One, ensuring that she never feels sexual pleasure. Yeah. And two, ensuring that um, that she is still a virgin on her wedding night. And for those of you who don't know it, this is going to get awful and gross and, you know, go to the kitchen and get a glass of water if you don't want to hear it. Um, but FGM removes all or part of the external female genitalia, um, the lips of the labia, and often the head of her clitoris, um, and then sewing up the vulva um, so that uh, in a way that it is not, uh, she doesn't, okay, words, Dawn, words. Um, it doesn't, the, the stitches don't get opened until her wedding night. So she's sewn closed, which, um, the cutting open is of course usually very painful. Yes. Um, and I cannot imagine it's very sanitary. Um, 
also, you know, what we talked about earlier with the myth of an intact time and, and menstruation, like this interferes with women's natural menstruation. Um, it's also can often be done in very unhygienic conditions. The whole um, will often only be unstitched to the degree that it will accept a penis and heals at that size, making childbirth nearly impossible or extraordinarily painful. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this practice is um, still in place today. Uh, There are many countries that if a woman has not had FGM, she's considered unsightly and unmarriageable. Um, and, you know, can often destroy her ability to ha- to experience sexual pleasure for the rest Forever, of her life. Yeah. With yeah. the removal of the clitoris, it's yeah. just, yep. she is just a hole. She's just a gaping hole for a man's pleasure and to bear his children. Yeah. In pain. In so pain. basically making us physically what they already believe we are. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, you, you, yeah, it's horrifying. Uh, you brought up the point of sex trafficking yeah, and how the idea of selling a child's virginity over and over and over again, right? Because, because there is no proof. Yeah. There is no proof. So, um, you know, young girls, uh, are more valuable because they can be sold for a higher price as a virgin. Um, what man would, I just don't understand. I guess it goes back to, to breeding and, and making babies that there is somehow a, a prize in it for a man for that. But it seems like it would be mostly unenjoyable for them as well. I yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, I had a friend in, uh, in college who I remember having a conversation with once and God bless him. He confided that he was, he didn't want to, as he put it, drill into any more virgins. Apparently he had been asked or been, you know, sort of um, appealed to uh, by several women in college to take their virginity, to get it over. The resident deflower. The resident deflower, because he was and still is just a sweet gentleman and i can see how women would trust him um yeah it's but, a compliment yeah but he did not find the process pleasant it wasn't it medical it's almost like a medical procedure yeah exactly and it wasn't good sex you know <laughs> so um so yeah why that thought of that would be appealing is um is a it's a patriarchal thing. I guess we don't understand. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of answers and I'm sure if I was willing to do the research, I could learn those answers, but I think it would disturb me. And so I just choose not, I choose to live in ignorance on that topic. We don't need to know those answers because we'd be disgusted by them and wouldn't believe them anyway. So there you go. Um, Yeah. And there's still stuff, you know, there's still stuff out there today. Uh, like you mentioned the Exorcist movie. Uh, there was that rapper uh, several years ago. Who was T. having his daughter tested every year? Yes. That's what talking about. Oh, he's yes. so creepy. Yes, that's so horrifying where he would, he would take his daughter to the doctor to get 
a hymen check. Who was this doctor? Well, he was someone who was, you know, getting slipped some money to do this. And he knew it would be in his best interest to say, yeah, I totally did a hymen check. And yeah, she's still a virgin. I mean, it's such it's such a racket, you know? She's 18 years old. She's legally an adult. She had to sign away her medical rights to her father in order for that to continue. And he demanded it. And and she goes along with it. This girl, I can't imagine the horror, the nightmare of her life, not just on this topic, because if that's yeah. how controlling he is, that, yeah. that story disgusts me. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. Oh. You were talking about that Happy Days episode. Oh, yeah. And this was very influential for me. It was a silly toss-off joke um, in an episode of Happy Days between Potsy and whoever his friend was. I don't remember the names anymore. But one of them had a new girl he was dating, and he was very proud because she was a virgin. And his friends were saying, well, how do you know if she's a virgin? And he's like, well, she told me she's a virgin, and virgins don't lie. And it's a silly toss-off joke, but it influenced my understanding, because I think I was in like fifth or sixth grade when Happy Days was on. It influenced, I'm at that age where I'm collecting all the data about right. men and women and bodies and sex and and what means what. And so the it was hammered into my little head. Oh, being a virgin is important. It's right. valued and men right. like that. Right. So what a lesson to get from Happy Days. From Happy <laughs> Days. Yeah. All those good family values, right? Yikes. Um, so one piece of good news that we did find on the interwebs um, is that there was an English bill in 2021. So this is two years ago as this time of, at this time of recording. Two years ago in the year of our Jesus Jones 2021 <laughs> to outlaw the practice of virginity testing because it was inextricably linked to women's oppression. And surgical rehymenization too, because they were actually doing surgery to build a virginal hymen in women up until that point. It was still legal to do that. Oh my God. (laughs) I think it was in Wales actually, but I'm not sure. It was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, look at that, an actual recognition that the I, the myth of virginity is part of, the patriarchy's it's oppression of women on the law books. Now it's yeah. on the law books. Now that virginity is oppression, at yeah. least in one place in this world, in one place in this world. Hallelujah. Hang on. Let me see if I can find, there we go. Yeah. Okay. We need, get- we need the long applause one for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, your takeaway is there is no such thing as virginity. Not biologically, not only, only patriarchically, sociologically. Right. Exactly. Biologically, there is no such thing as virginity. You cannot tell if a woman is a virgin. And you cannot tell if she has eaten peas. There you go. There you go. You're going to have to take her word for it. And also, it's none of your damn business. Because <laughs> I like these. Exactly. Because this is make matriarchy great again. Kimberly, you asked the very interesting question of, was there such a thing as virginity in matriarchal cultures? 
Yeah. And was, was there any ceremony around that or any, um, was a big deal made about in any way if, if a person had sex for the first time? Yeah. And were you able to find anything? No, there, we found um, one, I found, and I actually, I think you found it first. And then I also found it that about the Masuo matriarchal um, tribe in China, where they have these dormitories that young women can live in while they are interested in being sexual activity or sexually active and men could come visit them. And they call those walking marriages and, and they might last for a night. They might last for a while. It could be an ongoing relationship, but as long as they lived in these dorms, the men could come and go as, as the women pleased and enjoy sex. Other than that, an extensive, exhaustive application of my great Google Foo skills. <laughs> I was not able to find much talk at all, not just about virginity and matriarchy, but about sex and matriarchy. And I was, I was kind of, I'm like, why is nobody interested in researching this topic until it occurred to me? And I went, it's because nobody cares. It's because in a matriarchal society, sex is as important as eating peas. It's and taking a poo poo. It's just something you do, and it's something your body does, and it's something you enjoy doing. And there's no reason to make a big deal of it, to make it part of your culture, to make it anything that there are laws or even customs surrounding it. It's just part of life. It's it's as everyday as eating, defecating, hunting, um, going to the grocery store doing a craft. It's this just all of a thing of being a human being. So nobody made a big deal about it. So at first where I felt like, wow, sex is being really ignored in the research of this topic, I realized it's because nobody cares. And the only reason we care so much is because patriarchy has put so much pressure on us about our sexuality that we've developed laws governing it. We've developed these cultural rules. We've developed even, you know, ways children treat each other in high school. You know, t you know, it's, it's just become a bullying thing. It's become a powerful, powerful part of our lives only because men have made it important to own our vaginas. In a world where nobody owes your vagina, what you do with it is your own business. Is your own business. Yeah. I was excited. I was frustrated at first, and then I was excited to realize what it meant. <laughs> yeah. So, and and there are some, you know, articles uh, in in sort of pulp magazines out there that with headlines with things like, you know, men, if you want more sex, you know, give women more rights, that type of thing. But yeah, that it becomes a sexual free for all. And I'm like, yeah, no, only in your imagination. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, in a world where there is no, there isn't this huge, like, psychological charge surrounding sex, and surrounding, you know, the first time you do it. Um, you know, people who want to have sex will have sex. And I have a controversial theory and, um, and I'll share it because others may have it. And if I am logically flawed, you can call me on it. Um, I think in a world where sex is not a big deal and where women's bodies and women's sexuality is not a crime, um, abortion would no longer be an issue at all because there would be no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy. There might be an 
inconvenient pregnancy or a woman choosing not to have a child, but there would be no shame in it. There wouldn't be this huge shame in it. And so somebody could choose to give a child up for adoption or to have an abortion or to use birth control or to not use birth control. And nobody else would care. It stops being an issue because if there's no shame in sex, there's no shame in babies. Right. And so abortion would just kind of be like having a wisdom tooth out. It's your wisdom tooth. Have it in or have it out or present it as a gift to the tooth fairy, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> so that I, that's why I think abortion is another issue that only arises in a world that owns women's sexuality. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't exist. It's just that it wouldn't be an issue. Right. It wouldn't be anybody else's concern. Right. And we wouldn't have to claim a patriarchal God's authority in order to justify making a woman carry a pregnancy to term if she doesn't want to. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's just, there's no such thing as a shameful pregnancy. Yeah. 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 Cause pregnancy happens. Otherwise there would be no human race. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, men would still make it happen, I'm sure. <laughs> well, give them long enough with science, and I'm sure they will. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so here are your takeaways. First of all, matriarchy now. Second yeah. of all, there is no such thing as virginity. There is not. Yeah. yeah. Third of yeah. all, there is nothing shameful about your body, and it belongs to you. Yep. Have sex when you want to. Don't have sex when you want to. It's your choice. Amen. Amen. Hang on. Let me see if I can find that. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Thank you so much, Kimberly Rockwell, for this stimulating discussion. Thank you, Don Sam Alden. And uh, we will be back with more 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. Blessed be. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>